As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have an old friend with me today, one of my New York yoga colleagues, a dear and respected teacher in the world and especially in New York. Her name is Erica Mather. And please tell me, is that the way you pronounce your last name or is it Mather? For sure. Mather. Mather. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure. Um, You're the founder of the Adore Your Body System for Overcoming Body Image Challenges. This is the conversation we're going to have today. You're also the founder of the Yoga Clinic of New York City. You are, according to your bio, a recognized body image expert and, I love this part, a forest yoga lineage holder on a forest. Yay. Love you. I welcome you, first of all, to the podcast, finally. Thank you, Elena, for having me. What a it's, pleasure. We've been working on this for a while. Dude, <laughs> like it's, two years. it's been a minute. Uh, we had a really nice walk when you came to visit, and I'm so thankful for that time with you. It was so refreshing. But I think it's important to quickly dive into your book. Your book is called Your Body, Your Best Friend. The subtext, End the Confidence Crushing Pursuit of Unrealistic Beauty Standards and Embrace Your True Power. I remember when I first got this book, I read Jen Pasteloff's blurb at the back where she writes a roadmap on how to interrupt conversations that make us feel unworthy. Mm. Fucking awesome. Sorry to curse. Um, But I think that's exactly what this book is about. And if you're listening to us, our dear listener, and you're over it, (laughs) this might be a really good book for you. Your body, your best friend. I'm going to page nine to start us off. A national obsession that's making us miserable. Our ideals about happiness are culturally loaded. We live in a society positively obsessed with the idea that certain things will make you happy. The right job, the right clothes, beautiful body, face, pleasing partner, love life. These are essential ingredients for a happy life. So we're repeatedly told. Happiness is such an important part of American national identity that it's written into the damn Declaration of Independence you imagine? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So this is a curious principle, as you say, to emphasize since it's never been the pressing concern of any major religion or philosophical study. And our country was founded on the beliefs of men who self-identified as Christians. So what the hell did they mean about this? And this is what I would like to talk about. It was Thomas Jefferson who declared that the pursuit of happiness was an inalienable right along with life and liberty. Story goes that Jefferson, on the advice of Benjamin Franklin, substituted the phrase pursuit of happiness for the word property, which was favored by another guy, George Mason. Franklin thought that property was too narrow an ocean. (laughs) Like, what? 
Did our founding fathers believe that happiness and property were synonymous? Can you imagine? And it is on this sort of foundation that the idea of this country is built. This is so harrowing to me, Erica. It's pretty wacky. Wow. Where did you ever find out about that anyway? On the internet. On the interwebs. Doing a lot of research. I do believe there's an end note uh, at the back because it was such a peculiar little historical story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to find it. I don't want to turn too many pages for our listener, but hold on. It does say... Oh, you looked at Oliver Berkman's book, too, The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. That's a great one. I love that one. Um, Hold on. Let me just find this. No, and no. Maybe it's in my notes because, yeah, it should be noted. Yeah. It's such a very peculiar little uh, bit of data that seems, as they say, the devil is in the details. It's true. (laughs) It's true. But, you know, you go on to say, sort of save us with your theorizing, which I'm really grateful for. You say that society isn't an abstraction. It's created by the thoughts, speech, and actions of individuals and groups of people. So you, our listener, you are society. And you shape the way we think just as much as any of us do. But the fact is that no country has staked its identity so heavily on happiness as this country. And we are now seeing in real time the result of this. We are now seeing suicide rates among children. We are seeing mass shootings. We are seeing all of the terrible outbursts of racism, sexism. Roe v. Wade got overturned, for God's sakes. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to think that this entire book is built on how we think from the inside. Yeah. You know, I was on a podcast recently where the host was like, uh, I wasn't sure about this book because I was a little bit like worried. It was just going to be another like memoir feel good book. And then she said, but I picked it up and immediately was like, oh, this is different. This is different. And it is, as you said, I save you with my theorizing. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because it is like a treatise. It is like a an argument. I'm trying to build an argument to help people to change their minds. I think that's so much like about what we do in yoga and in Buddhism. Taoism mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is like we are trying to help people to have the tools to change their own minds. And how do you change your own mind when you see that the things that you believe in are partially true, actually? Right. It is true that people do reap rewards for being pretty. Yeah, they do. So how do you see that truth and then simultaneously build a different internal architecture of value and society that holds what we're worth as humans from the inside out instead of from the outside in? What I like a lot is how you go into the sort of releasing the binaries of, you know, so much of our thinking. Good, bad. Yes, no, pretty, ugly. Happy, not happy, which is, I think, a big one. Yeah, the binaries are what cause us so much suffering, as we're taught in our lineages. So much suffering comes from that. So if you could stay in a state of 
being okay with being unhappy <laughs> or being okay with being happy, like happy, good, unhappy, good, whatever, fine, onward, you know? Old, young. Mm-hmm. Old, young, fat, thin, you know, a big binary <laughs> that we map onto the body and all of the value systems that come along with that. I think the good work that you've done is a lot around that body image, at least as far as I've seen. Mm. And I kind of want to rest our attention there for a little while. So many women are, you know, still struggling with weight on either side of the spectrum, thinking they need to be thinner or in some way dissatisfied with how they look. And, you know, there was a moment, I don't know, I was probably in my late 40s when I took my clothes off one day and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, we should all just be walking around naked all the time. It's the clothing. <laughs> it's the clothing that messes the whole story up. <laughs> well, ain't that some biblical shit? <laughs> right? Like, let's just go. Let's be naked because, you know, all the bodies would be so much more beautiful without all the clothing stories and the tight and the loose and the expense of it, all of it. I just, I don't know. I had this thought and I was just like, God, I'm going to start walking around my house naked as much as I possibly can. And that's kind of how I roll, you know, it's so much nicer. Yeah. And that working well for you? Is that, is that it is. healing? Something? It is. I do have clothes on right now, just so you know, <laughs> I'm wearing a dress. But yeah, I walk around naked a lot more and I don't have all these judgments about my body anymore. I don't even think about it. Like, whatever. This one fits. This one doesn't. Who cares? It's over. Yeah, and I think that also is some of the privilege of age, you know, is that we're all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait, okay, I've been doing this for way too long. <laughs> I've seen that it gets fatter, it gets thinner, it gets more toned, it gets less toned. It's just actually... One of my mentors said that to be alive is to change and things that are dead don't change. So it's like, you know, sort of tuning into that. It's like, oh, what a privilege to be able to change. What a privilege to be able to get fatter or thinner or more toned or less toned or because that means you're alive. Yeah. The alternative is it doesn't change and you're not alive. Right. You're dead. Yeah. Which seems so basic. You know, it's like one of those koans where all of a sudden you're just like oh my god oh, it makes sense all of a sudden it makes sense like in a flash of lightning it makes sense and mm -hmm. then two seconds later you're like wait what is that what, what was that yeah. <laughs> um in tame the spin doctor is one of the chapters and you talk about the power of choice um i'm on page 102 of the book for our listener you invite us to take out our journal and write from these prompts and title the page, Aging Admiration. I love this section. Yay. What is it that inspires you about these older women that you admire? Who is an older woman role model for you? What are some great things about getting older? When you think of your older, wiser self, what does she look like, move like, speak like? What does she wear? Who does she spend time with? And in these prompts, you can start to see already the beauty and the freedom of the choices that one gets to make as one ages. Yeah, it was an important, it is, it wasn't, it is an important repositioning because if we are society, right, then the choices that we make about how we age creates a ripple effect 
And then you get to affect the people around you in a particular way. They may have their reactions to you dyeing your hair or not dyeing your hair or getting filler or not getting filler, going totally natural. You know, they'll have their own reactions, but it does show that you have a choice, mm. a choice in the matter. Mm. I have some women in my life, their sisters are beautiful, late fifties and you know, they're New Yorkers. And as you probably remember, New Yorkers are getting Botox pretty young these days. I got to say like in their thirties and these beautiful ladies have done nothing. They dye their hair, but that's pretty much it. And I sort of want to ask them what led you to this decision. And it's kind of hard to ask those questions without it somehow maybe seeming like a judgment in the question, but there is no judgment at all. It's more like a, an admiration of beauty of like, how did you buck this New York trend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which started a long time ago and just decide this is the way you're going to go. Because it's, to me, it's so radical. Like these ladies are like beautiful and elegant and it's like such a radical choice to make, yeah. you know? Yeah. The thing about all those fillers though, is that once you start, you can't stop. I have heard that. And that was the argument that my mother gave me. She was like, you have to promise me you're never going to do that. And I was like, okay, you know, I have friends who are doing it. I have no judgment about it. But I'm actually kind of relieved that I don't have to worry about maintaining it. Because once you start, you can't stop. And that's so interesting. I'm going to link it back to the beginning of this conversation about property and happiness. Because I feel like... Wrapped up in this whole thing is the idea of money and capitalism and this idea that's well documented, the beauty industry makes so much money. And then this thing that you're going to get looped into fillers, no judgment, you can fill, it's your body, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do with it. That is my one F-bomb for this podcast. I'll take it. You know, it's your body, you can do what you want with it. But this idea that once you start, you're never going to be able to stop. I had a friend who did filler and she actually stopped and she said it looked like my face fell. It was just like it fell. And she's hold steady around not doing it anymore. But I think that that moment of stopping was alarming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this idea that you have to keep feeding the machine your money in order to be, I don't know what, in order to be valuable, in order to be approved. And I write this in the book. I think it's even deeper than that. It's in order to be lovable. You know, so much of the book is actually about restructuring a paradigm about how we decide that we're lovable or not lovable and to really take ownership of that and make it your own yeah. from the inside out yeah. with unshakable determination. Lesson because five. Own- mm? Lesson five. Lesson five. It's deep in lesson five. Lesson five can be a little triggery. <laughs> uh yeah, Elena is referring to a chapter in the book, which is called Your Body is a Safe Space. Is that what it's called? I wrote the book, but I think that's it's, what called, it's called. No, no, it's fine. It's called Reclaim Your Body as Safe, semicolon, yes. Call Your Spirit Home. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L M N T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat 
fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. Yeah. And for us to decide that we are lovable, we are safe in and of ourselves without the approval of other people, super important. And then this piece, call your spirit home. Elena, this is part of the piece of the suicide, the overdoses, the absence of purpose is actually, I learned through my study with my teacher on a forest about the idea of a soul retrieval, which you've probably heard of too. But my understanding of it, and I'm not an expert in this, and I have not trained at the right hand of any elders, so I just want to like provide that deep disclaimer. But my understanding of it is that many of the illnesses that we are seeing now are soul sicknesses. They are sicknesses of an absence of purpose or sicknesses of a misunderstanding of what your value is and where your place is in the fabric of life on this planet. And so calling your spirit home means that for all of us who are dissociative or ruptured from our spirit, that we create a space for our spirit to live within our bodies, which is part and parcel of this making your body safe making sure that you love yourself, right? And these are a habitat in which your spirit can live and can flourish and can thrive. But when you are filled with self-loathing or filled with judgment, that is a very inhospitable habitat for your spirit to thrive. And then it creates all of these other illnesses mm -hmm. of modernity. And that is a non-biological explanation. <laughs> And there's a lot of chemistry to it too, but your chemistry is produced by how you feel in part. Yeah, I really appreciated the very first part of this chapter where you talked about how, again, this is might be triggering for a listener or two, but you developed early, you ended up a survivor of childhood sexual assault, and you knew, in air quotes, that it was because your body looked a certain way that it was unsafe. And so you ended up getting into eating disorders to be thinner so that you could look different, so that you could be safer. Just so interesting how I'm sure our listener is also dealing with this too in some way, whether you were traumatized or not, there was some 
argument, some conflict with the body that you were in or are in. And I think this is where this book becomes of great value. How did you ever get through that? And how old were you? I was young. I was school, like elementary school age. So, and how did I get through it? Mm. I think through a lot of shutting down, which is a very time-honored method of getting through things, (laughs) is you just create a little shell and you soldier forward. And then later in life, I really had to take a hard look at how I was treating my body, why I was treating my body that way, and all of the damage that I was doing to my own body, and to make a decision whether I wanted to keep doing that damage or not. And part of, for me, making my body a safe space has been coming to grips, and it's not a singular event, it's over and over and over and over again, coming to grips with the consequences of what your body looks like. And no matter what your body looks like, this will be something I think every person has to, if they want to. I mean, you could go through your whole life and never do this, but I think that it is better to come to grips with how your body is perceived and what are the reactions to it, and then making peace with that for yourself. So as aforementioned, I matured early. I was tall. I have hair and boobs and butt and people react to it. You know, people still react to it. And so part of maturing has been to allow the body to be what it is, just be what it is and not blame it for the consequences of what it is. One of the things I say is the body is innocent body is innocent. It was just born into this world like an oak tree, like a squirrel. You choose your favorite woodland animal. (laughs) Your body was born here as innocent as any of those creatures. And then things happen. And so part of my restructuring of my own thought process about body image is creating a different internal structure for how I think about it and what it is and how people react to it without making it personal. Like it's my fault. Yeah. Very, very well said, sister. Thank you. Yeah, that was really important. That's a really important distinction for all of us to hear. I thought it might be interesting to read the little bit that I wrote about this book Yes, let's read your endorsement. It's so nice because our listener, I really feel like every woman should have their hands on this book. Grounded yet mystical, Erica Mather brings both practical advice and nourishing wisdom to help you create a healthy, heartfelt relationship to your body. Trading comparisons for compassion and perfectionism for potential. In these pages, you'll learn to tend to your body with more creativity and lasting kindness. That's really what this book is about. And at the end, I would like to talk a little bit now about the end of the book and how you kind of actually offer a lot of your experiential wisdom when it comes to how we relate to food, how we relate to sleep, whether or not we're actually reading books, which helps us sleep. I read a book before I go to sleep every night. Not a whole book, but parts of the book. 
And I really appreciated that by the end of the book, it wasn't just theorizing, as I said, it's really instructional. Yeah. I just thank you for that. Gosh, you're so welcome. And so much of it is so basic. (laughs) It is, but it's not. You know, this is a really safe place, this book, for somebody to land. You know, you make it clear that we're all in the same boat together. We've all sort of demonized our bodies at some point and made our bodies the problem. We can stop doing that now. And here's how. Mm hmm. It's really important. kind of amazing, yeah. actually. Yeah, it kind is. Of amazing. It is. Yeah. What I found is that for the most part, folks are unkind to their bodies. So, the, you know, the name of the book, Your Body, Your Best Friend, is really a great reframe. And there are certain things that we do that are unkind. And they tend to fall at least in New York, maybe not in other places, they seem to fall into the category of extremes. It's like you work too much, you drink too much, you don't sleep enough. And it's all like this deprivation. And so part of care for the body is like, you have to let it restore. You can't just expect it to continue to produce without allowing it to restore. And so some of the things I talk about, it's like we've so much gotten away from, again, thank you, capitalism. (laughs) And it's funny, when I say thank you, capitalism, I sort of think of myself as a capitalist. You couldn't really grow up in this society without really being a capitalist. But like looking at how we got here, the history of how we got here, and the toll it takes on our bodies, and our bodies are the things that produce material accumulation. Right. So it's just like if you took a horse out and you ran it and ran it and ran it and then didn't give it a drink of water and put it away wet. And then were surprised that the next day the horse was lame and you could no longer ride it. Maybe you had to like put it out to pasture for the rest of its life. That's the sort of the way that we treat our bodies, in part because we've decided that our bodies are machines, which we've been taught that they are machines We talk about them like they're machines. We think about them like they're machines and we treat them like they're machines. Like you should be able to go, 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 go. So the practicalities at the end are really tied into a reframe around our bodies as organic that you got to let things rest in order for them to continue to produce. And you got to like put quality stuff in like quality books. Information is a form of intake quality food and food is such a battleground. Oh my gosh. I hesitate to even like dip my toe in at this moment, but you got to feed your body good food and think anything that you have to cook for yourself. (laughs) Let's call that good food. You know, if it comes out of a package, gosh, there's so much engineering and manufacturing that is not designed to help you. So yeah, you know, water, dark leafy greens. I have to remind myself coffee is not water. Coffee is a liquid, but it's not water. Water is water. <laughs> Thank you for that. Matcha yeah. is not water. Matcha is not Chai water. is not water. <laughs> Chai is not water. I remember a teacher, I think it was Jonathan at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition being on stage and being like, water is water. Do not allow yourself, you know, this delusion <laughs> Water is water. That's it. 
<laughs> so funny. In any case, I just really want to thank you for the great work that you've done. Uh, we've known each other a long time. I've always respected you. I've always laughed with you. Same. Yeah. You walk in April. That was so nice. That was to sweet. See your mountains and your backyard and yeah, yeah. Introduce you to Rashana and all that. Yeah, it was good. I get to talk to Rashana soon too. Actually, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm actually in my country home right now. I'm in Virginia where I've spent about an hour studying the way that the butterfly bushes grow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, why this way? Oh, totally off on a tangent. (laughs) I hope all our gardeners enjoy this. Shocking news. The butterfly bushes grow in the direction of the most available sun. That's it. That's what I learned today. Isn't that most trees do that, right? Yeah. It's just like, duh. Yeah. This is how they're growing. They're Where so- there's sunlight, they're like, I'll put out a branch over here. Where there's no sunlight, they're like, I'm going to trim off this branch. Yep. It's yep. So efficient, yeah. nature. Yes. 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 God, we could talk yes. for hours about that. Um, I love it. I really appreciate you. I thank you so much for coming today. And it was my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. Um, would you mind sharing with our listener where exactly they can find you, please? I have a website, myfirstandlastname.com. It's a static thing, though. So if you want more engagement, uh, find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Mm -hmm. a little bit of Twitter, but mostly Instagram. Okay. And if you really want me to bother you, (laughs) like if you're like, I like this person, let her bother me, get on my mailing list. I send emails out and it actually lands in your inbox and I'm assuming that maybe you check your email periodically. Whereas, you know, when you go to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you are um, a victim of the algorithm. Maybe you'll see it. Maybe you won't. So if you really want to see it, if you want me to bother you, hop on my mailing list. You can do that at my website or DM me through one of the social media Mm -hmm. um, playgrounds and I will add you manually. Beautiful. Beautiful. Your name. Mm-hmm. Um, and your website is Erica Mather, E-R-I-C-A-M-A-T-H-E-R.com. And I want to just give one more shout to the book for a listener. The book is called Your Body, Your Best Friend. And I think it should be a Bible in the hand of every teenage girl. That's oh, what wow. I wish. Thank, Thank you. you. I wish for that too. Thank you so Bye. much for being here. Thank you so much for hosting me, Elena. And thank you for the work that you do and for your beautiful endorsement of my book. You are a wordsmith and an artist and um, a true gift to our world. So thank you for all the work you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. We talk again soon. I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 
75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.